this is uh, the week that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And uh, during this week, he uh, was tested. He was uh, every group, every religious group, political group came to Jesus trying to trap him, trying to trick him, trying to find, trying to embarrass him, try to in some way humiliate him or get him to say something wrong. We've already looked at a lot of those. And it's uh, interesting, this is the same week that the Passover lamb was always being tested. They would be... Uh, they would be examining it very carefully for the whole week to see if there was any blemish in it at all. And while uh, the Jewish uh, households were examining the Passover lamb, the uh, Jewish leaders were examining God's lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking today at a, a group that came to to try to trick Jesus. The Pharisees had been to do their worst. The Herodians had come. And now in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, the Sadducees come. Now, who were the Sadducees? Well, the Bible tells us that the Sadducees, they were the ones who did not believe in anything spiritual or miraculous they didn't believe in demons they didn't believe in angels and they did not believe in the resurrection of the body and so there was a lot of conflict between the pharisees who were very very strict religionists and the sadducees because the pharisees did believe in angels and they did believe in the resurrection of the body but the sadducees didn't the Sadducees were the, the uh, aristocratic party. They were the ones, they were richer than the Pharisees, and they only accepted the first five books of the Bible as, uh, as authoritative. They didn't believe in the, the prophets. They didn't believe in the other books. They just believed in, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so uh, they, they, they didn't believe. They believed that when you died... You were just dead, and uh, I guess that's why they were sad, you see, uh, because uh, uh, they, didn't, they didn't believe in any of the stuff that had hope for the future or anything like that. So uh, they come to Jesus, and they come trying to trick him in this matter about the resurrection. So listen to Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. And Sadducees came to Jesus, that is, those who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, this seems very, very strange, very odd to us. But in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses had said, but in order to keep the inheritance in the family and everything like that, that if, uh, if two brothers are living together and uh, one of them marries and then that brother dies and he and his wife don't have any children, it becomes the other brother's responsibility to provide a child by his brother's wife 
so that the brother's name will continue in the family and also so the property that belonged to that brother would be his. Some of the, we see some reflection of this in the book of Ruth even and other places. Now, again, that, that sounds just very, very strange and weird to us, and, uh, but, uh, but it was uh, an important thing in that day. And so, so the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they, they take this idea. They said, now, now there, there's this story that we want to tell you, Jesus. You know, Moses said that if, if a man's brother dies, doesn't have any child, that his brother is supposed to uh, raise up offspring for his brother. So he said, now, that, that's our biblical background for this. And here's the story. There were seven brothers. They were all living together in the same home, kind of like seven brides for seven brothers, I guess, only there was just one bride for seven brothers here. So it, it says there were these seven brothers, and the first one took a wife, and then he died before they had a child. And so the second brother took her and then he died leaving no offspring and likewise the third I'd be wanting to check what she was feeding them I think you know if all the brothers are dying you know every time they married this girl they all die I just wonder what she's putting in their soup but uh and and the seven each one of them all of them married and and died before they had a child and then the Seven left no offspring at all. And then, last of all, the woman also died. So that's the the story, kind of a sad, uh, weird story. These seven brothers, they all married the same woman. Each of them died, and then finally she died. In the resurrection, which, of course, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For all seven of them had been married to her. So they thought they were really going to get Jesus on the horns of a dilemma here. They were going to trick him and uh, ask him this question to see if they could, uh, if they could uh, uh, catch him in something. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason that you're wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. He said, You know... The reason that you guys are wrong, because you don't understand what the Bible says, you don't understand the Scripture, and you're thinking in totally human terms, you don't understand the power of God. So, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, they're not angels. Sometimes, you know, you'll hear about some Christian dying, and they'll say, well, there's another angel in heaven. Look, we don't become angels. We are uh, we're, we're different from the angels. But he says we, we have this in common with the angels in that as, and as for the dead being raised, go back one verse. Did I leave something out there? Jump back to verse 25. No, okay, that's good. Then 25. Oh, we skipped verse 25. There you go. For when they rise from the dead. No, we saw it. They neither are, but they're like the angels in heaven. Okay, I guess we got that. Uh, he Now go to 26. There we go. Now we're getting it. 
And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, that's in the first five books, this is the, these are the books they believed in, so he actually uses their own scripture to prove his point. In the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And by the way, he says, I am their God. And all three of these men had already been dead, been dead for a long time, physically dead. And so he says, have you not read how that God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. So you are quite wrong. So with that, he silenced them. In fact, I think maybe the next verse uh, says, and one of the scribes came up. No, that's, uh, that, that's week after next message, so we'll save that for then. But, uh, but that silenced the Sadducees. Now, I want you to know the, the Old Testament definitely did teach that there would be a resurrection. So the, fa- the Sadducees were wrong in not understanding, not believing the Scriptures. The, the, the Jewish people believed in two kinds of resurrection. One, they believed in a resurrection of Israel. They believed that there would come a day when Israel as a nation would be revived and resuscitated. Ezekiel chapter 37 tells about the valley of the dry bones and how that as the word of the Lord was preached to these dry bones, the bones began to shake and rattle and and, uh, roll, maybe, I don't know. Uh, And as they were shaking and moving about, they joined together and the toe bone connected to the foot bone and foot bone connected to the ankle bone and the ankle bone connected to the knee bone and all that. And then... They stood up, and and skin came on them, and muscles, and uh, what in the world is that a picture of? What is that? Wouldn't that be a scary thing, wouldn't it? You know, I've never preached in a cemetery. There have been a few Sundays I felt like I was, but uh, uh, not here, of course. But uh, but uh, but but can you imagine this picture? Of, of these bones, dry, dry bones all coming together and, and joining together and then standing up and, and flesh and muscle and skin comes on them and then they become a, a great army. Well, uh, that's a picture of the time. Oh, it's two pictures. One, it's a picture of what happens to us when we get saved, by the way. Uh, we, we're we're dry and dead and hopeless and helpless, and God just miraculously gives us life. That's what happens. Every salvation is a miracle. It's not just a good thing. It's a miracle from God. You can't save yourself or save anybody else. Salvation is of the Lord, and God can do it. And just as surely as he could make these dry bones live, he can make dead sinners live and that's what happened to you when you became a christian if you got saved god did it and it was a miracle but it was also a picture here of the miracle of of israel living again and i believe we will see this particular passage fulfilled literally and actually in a time yet to come but also the bible teaches that individuals will rise again. In the Old Testament, Psalm 
16, verse 9. This is a verse that uh, Stephanie read just a couple of weeks ago. Psalm 16, verse 9 says, Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. And the next verse, For you will not abandon my soul to the, to the grave, to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He says, you will not leave me in the grave. Now, of course, Jesus quoted this verse. Uh, this verse is quoted for, about Jesus, but it's also true for us. David was saying this in his day, and he says, you're not going to leave me in the grave, but you're going to raise me from the dead, and I'll be at your right hand. There'll be pleasures forevermore. Psalm 49, <clears throat> verse 15 is another verse that speaks of the resurrection in the Old Testament. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. So he's going to raise me from the dead. Listen, I preached, I mean, I, I had two funerals yesterday. And uh, uh, as I go to the cemetery, after I've preached the funeral service, we go to the cemetery and we're putting people in the in the ground. That's kind of the saddest part for a lot of families, as as the body is there in the in the casket, and the family is knowing this is the last time. I'm saying goodbye at this time, and that casket is going to be lowered into the ground and covered with dirt. And I say to the people at that time, this is not the final. This is not the end. The body that is in this casket will someday be raised from the dead. And I tell you, one of the great doctrines that we believe in, one of the things that we'll celebrate this next week, next Sunday, is not just the resurrection of Jesus, but he became the first fruits, the Bible says, of those who are raised from the dead. And Jesus said, because I live you also will live. And uh, it, we, would, we would be uh, people without any hope if we didn't believe in the resurrection. We would, have, we, would, we would go to the cemetery with our loved one and we would walk away shaking our head in grief and sorrow and not just sorrow but crushing sorrow if we did not believe that God was going to raise that body from the grave. Now, when a Christian dies, his spirit, the part of him that makes him him, goes immediately to be with Jesus. But the body is put into the grave. But I want to tell you, God actually loves our physical body. He is the one, the Bible says, who shaped us, knitted us together in our mother's womb. He is the one who provided and, 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 and pronounced that we would be knit together by the DNA that are from our parents. But God himself prepares for us a body. And he loves that body. And this body that we have, 
Uh, it, it's the visible part of us that people recognize. When I see Ephraim walking in the church, I say, well, there's Ephraim Medeiros. And what I mean is I recognize him because I see his physical body. But I won't tell you, if Brother Ephraim were to die, and we will someday, won't we? We all will. But if he were to die, I wouldn't say this is Ephraim in the casket. I would say this is where he used to live. This is the house. This is the tent that he lived in for a while. They say, well, where is he? He's with Jesus. He is already with the Lord. And that body would be buried. But God says, I'm not through with that body. There will come a day when Jesus will come again. And the Bible says there will be a trumpet blast of God and the dead in Christ, their body, will be raised. And they will be raised first. And then we who are still alive and remain will be changed. And we'll all be caught up with the Lord. Somebody asked me, well, why, why do the ones that are dead, why do they rise first? It's because they have six feet further to go <laughs> than we do, see? And so, uh, so they get a head start. And then we are caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And... Uh, and we'll all be changed. We'll, uh, we, this physical body is, has some limitations, doesn't it? I mean, the funeral that I preached yesterday was for a man that's almost exactly my age. He's six months, I think, older than, than I am. And every time I go to funerals of men my age, <clears throat> I think, you know, not going to be too much longer. I'm going to be here. Somebody's going to be preaching my funeral. But I don't really worry too much about that. In fact, I don't worry about it at all. Because I know that when I leave this body, I go to be with Jesus. And this body <clears throat> will someday be raised. And you know what really makes you special is not your body. It's the person that lives in that body. That's what makes you special. When I was a little boy, my favorite place in all the world to go was my grandpa's house. And we'd go out there when I was six, seven, eight years old. He lived out in the country, right in the middle of a big old cotton patch in Tennessee. <clears throat> I'd go to that, go out there, and we would play and crawl under the house and chase bumblebees with a little stick, and, and we'd pole vault with his walking cane. we just do all, we just had a ball. Man, it was more fun than six flags. Of course, it wasn't six flags back then. Probably wasn't even but two flags back then. But, uh, but man, I loved going to his house. It was just, just driving up his driveway even, which was about a mile long. Uh, driving up that driveway, my heart would get to racing. I'm at Grandpa's house. I'm at Grandpa's house. Well, after my grandpa died, Carol and I married. I took her to Tennessee. I said, I want you to, I want to take you to grandpa's house. 
I said, it's the most wonderful place in the world. And we drove down that long place and got to the house, and it was there empty now. And we went inside, and I said, I, I don't know what it is. It doesn't feel all that special. I, I, don't, I don't understand. This always was so special. And my wife, who's wiser than I am, said, well, honey, don't you understand? It wasn't the house that made this place special. It was who lived in the house that made it special. And I've thought about that so many times. Every time I preach a funeral, I think, you know, it's not the house that makes us who we are. That's what we recognize but it's who lives in the house. And I want to tell you, when, the, when, when I die, the one who lives in this house goes instantly to be with Jesus. And I'll fellowship with him face to face at that moment. But someday, even this body is going to be changed and raised. And this corruptible will put on incorruption. And this mortal will put on immortality. People say, well, well what's it going to be like? What, what's it going to be like when we're raised? What kind of body are we going to have? Well, Paul wrote a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, to answer that question. But here's the thing. The body we have when we're raised will have similarities to this body. I think we'll be recognizable, but it'll... It'll be different in some ways. Even Jesus' body. When Jesus was raised, his body was recognizable. They knew it. That's Jesus. But it was different. He could actually walk through walls. I think that will be kind of neat. And uh, he could just appear and disappear. But his body will be different. And somebody said, well, when a person dies, they're 95 years old and they're weak and sickly, when their body is raised, are they going to look like that? I don't think so. Or when a child dies, will he look like a child when he's raised from the dead? I don't think so. I believe that when we're raised, that our body is going to be changed into the likeness of his body. That is, uh, I think, the appearance perhaps of 30, 32, 33 years of age. That's about the age Jesus was when he was raised. And uh, I wouldn't mind looking 33 again. Yeah. Amen. All right. And uh, that would be kind of kind of nice. And uh, I might have to go back and look at some of my pictures when I was 33 before I say that. But, uh, but I think it sure beats 74. But here's the thing about it. We will be raised. And because Jesus was raised, he assures us we'll also be raised. And then we'll be caught up to meet him in the air, in that new body. And then we'll go to heaven. Now, there's a little troubling part about this passage we read today. My wife wife loves all the Bible, but these verses are not her favorite. Where it says that in heaven... We won't be marrying and giving the marriage. She says, I don't like that. She said, I want to be married to you for all of eternity. I don't want this idea of us not being married. Well, I'm not sure exactly 
what that means. I do believe that my wife and I will know each other in heaven. And I believe that we will know and remember the fact that we were husband and wife. And uh, maybe we can share a room. I don't know. But the thing about it, and she's asked me about this, and every answer I've given her hadn't satisfied her. But I believe that in heaven, we will have such perfect love for one another and for all of God's people that it will be like we don't have to have a marriage relationship. There will be no reproduction in heaven. And so we'll just all love one another with a perfect love so that uh, that we won't have to have a husband-wife relationship. There will be a husband-wife relationship, but it's Jesus as the husband and the church as his bride. Now, I know that doesn't satisfy my wife, and it may not satisfy you, but it's the best shot I can take at it. I think we'll all, one thing's for sure, there's not going to be any unhappiness in heaven. Nobody in heaven's going to say, well, well, Jesus, I just wish you'd have done it this way. No, we're going to realize that it's absolutely perfect. Uh, on Wednesday nights, a lot of times I'll meet with the kids up in our choir room, and, and I'll have about a 15-minute question-answer time, ask the pastor time with them. Man, they ask lots of questions about heaven. That's one of their favorite things to ask well what about heaven what about what's it going to be like in heaven a lot of times I just have to say you know I hadn't been there yet I just don't know for sure but you imagine it the very best you can imagine it and it's going to be a million times better than that and the Bible says I have not seen ears not heard nor has it entered into the mind of man the things that God's prepared for those who love him so you say well what's it going to be well it had never entered my mind I just don't know for sure. Here's what I do know. I know that heaven is a prepared place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. I think it was Keith Green who said, you know, if, if God made the whole world in six days, and it's so beautiful, and he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years, then this world be like living in a garbage can compared to that place. Because if he did in six days what we see with all the beauty of the Grand Tetons and uh, Smoky Mountains and all this kind of stuff, and he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years, it's a prepared place. It's going to be perfect in every way. And that's the second thing. It's a perfect place. There will not be anything in it that causes pain or sorrow or loss or grief or anything like that. It's a perfect place. When our kids were little, we had a song by the Gaithers called The Won't Bees in Heaven. The Won't Bees in Heaven. And we thought about all the things that won't be in heaven. There won't be pain. There won't be death. I don't think there will be any snakes, but uh, if they are, we won't be afraid of them. And they won't have teeth, maybe. But uh, uh, there won't be anything there that causes that place to be imperfect. It'll be a perfect place. And it'll be a purified place. The Bible says nothing that defiles will be there. And it will also be a permanent place.
It'll last forever. Every good thing that we experience here on earth ultimately has an end, doesn't it? It, uh, No matter how good it is, uh, it has an end. But I want to tell you something. The place that God has prepared for us will never end. We will serve Him, love Him, praise Him, worship Him forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. And uh, again, people... I, I, I recommend Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. It answers a lot of questions. But even there, he'll say a lot of times, well, the best I can say is this and this and this. Heaven is going to be much, much, much better than we can ever imagine. Now, people try to describe it in terms that are kind of physical. You know, people say, well, I think maybe I'll be sitting on the creek bank fishing, you know, for a thousand years or something like that. Well, that may be fun, but I don't think I'd like fishing for a thousand years. And other people, you know, say, well, it's going to, well, it's described lots of different ways. The fact is it's going to be a place where every hope, every dream that God's ever put in our heart is perfectly fulfilled to its fullest possible degree. Everything you could ever dream of that you really, really need, you will have in a measure greater than you can even dream of. It'll be a perfect, perfect place. So the real question is not what's heaven going to be like. The real question is, are you going to be there? That's really the main question. For those who are in heaven, it'll be better than they ever imagined. But the question is, how does a person get to heaven? How do you get there? Well, that's the reason Jesus came. He came, the Bible says, to bring us to God. That's why he came. He came to take away our sin, the one big barrier between us and God. The Bible says your sins have separated between you and God. And Jesus came to remove the barrier and to give us eternal life and implant in us his Holy Spirit so that when we die, we just step from where we are to where he is. Again, when I was a little boy, I loved, we'd go to visit my aunt or uncle up in uh, around Jackson, Tennessee, and we'd stay usually pretty late, and we'd come back home, and I'd fall asleep in the car coming back home. And uh, I always thought it was so amazing. I didn't ever remember falling asleep. And when I woke up, I wasn't in the car. I was in my bed, and I think, how'd that happen? Last I remember, we're driving home in the car, and now all of a sudden, I'm in my bed. And I learned later that what happened is that when I fell asleep, my daddy picked me up in his strong arms. He carried me to my bed, and I woke up there. And I want to tell you, someday I'll fall asleep here on this earth. And when I do, underneath, the Bible says, are the everlasting arms 
of my Savior. And when I awake, I will awake in his presence immediately, instantly. Why? Because I've put my trust not in myself, not in my goodness, not in, in my preaching. I've put my trust in Jesus. Have you done that? Have you trusted him? Has there been a time in your life where you said, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that sin separates me from God, and the wages of sin is death. But I believe that Jesus died my death, paid my penalty, and took the wages of my sin. And then he rose from the grave. Hallelujah. And because he lives, now I can live. Because he offers me eternal life that he purchased for me on the cross. If you've never done that, this Palm Sunday would be a wonderful day to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. The Greek word Hosanna means save now. Save me now. Would you ask him to do that today if you've never done it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your marvelous grace and for your amazing power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power will raise us from the dead spiritually when we're saved and someday even physically when Jesus comes back. But I pray for those here today who have not yet received the gift of eternal life. I pray they will receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.